I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcasts is supported by Twin Motion and by Section Cut from our friends at Monograph. You'll hear more about them later on in the episode. Hello! My name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, guys. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Jason is on the road today, heading out to uh, Elsinore, I believe. Yeah, Canyon Lake. It's actually like, it's pretty cool if you've ever been there. But Canyon Lake, which is like inside of Lake Elsinore. I think Canyon Lake's actually its own city. Huh. Yeah. So Jason, we have a guest with us today, checking in all the way from New Delhi, I believe, in India. She is the director of Design Aware and the architect. Please help me welcome Takbir Fatima. <laughs> Takbir, thank you for joining us. Hi, Demetrius. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm in Hyderabad, actually. Oh, uh, how do you South of India. Okay. That's, thank you for correcting me. I was reading somewhere on your bio, I think, that you were in New Delhi. Um, don't, hey, Demetrius, don't feel bad. I have no idea where either one of those are, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining us, Tagvir. Uh, so I, I mentioned Design Aware. Can you tell us a little bit about Design Aware and, and what you're doing there? Right. So as you mentioned earlier, I'm an architect. Um I have been educated, well, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and then I uh, moved to India for my um, college education. 
because my parents are from here and I wanted to learn a little bit more about my background or my um, family background. And then I did my master's from the Architectural Association in London. And after that, I, I moved back to India because I really like it here. So uh, that's when I started my um, independent practice, which is um, Design Aware. It's an experimental design and uh, architecture studio. And we kind of, we, we work across different scales and different disciplines. So we've been practicing, well, we're, we're still a pretty young practice. It's been about six years that we've been active formally. We operate in uh, India as well as in other countries as well, um, including the UK and, uh, and the UAE. So we, we don't bound ourselves to any sort of geographical location or any kind of project typology. So we're kind of open to all kinds of projects which interest us. When you say experimental, what do you mean by that? Right. Uh, I think it's a really personal uh, definition of what experimental would mean. For me personally, I think it's more about something doing something that we haven't done before. So, you know, even uh, as you get experienced, you kind of become well-versed and, and you know, um, you're kind of capable of doing things because you've done them before. But we are kind of in the space where we're always experimenting and always trying to do something new which we haven't done before. So it's always, uh, we're always in this learning stage. Um, and we like to take up projects we, which we haven't done before. And that really excites us rather than doing similar things over and over again. Yeah, you guys did, um, I think one of the projects, correct me if I'm wrong or if I misspeak, uh, I think you did like a, not pop-up, but sort of a pop-up uh, mosque with this kind of fabric wall that you created. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, we've always been, you know, looking for projects which help us serve the community and, and which are socially responsible. So um, we're open to doing projects which are, you know, which may not be paid. They may be, you know, pro bono. So we have a kind of quota for that. Um, so this was one of those projects. And what was really uh, great about it was that we had a little bit of freedom, uh, even though there were a lot of constraints the project was the design of a mosque for about 20 people um, in the garage of an, of an apartment building, which was about 30 years old. Wow. And, um, and the reason for the mosque was um, for the elderly residents of the building who had been living there for a very long time, but they, they weren't able to uh, walk to the mosque, especially during the month of Ramadan, which is you know really important to um, go to the mosque. And there are extra prayers in the, in the nights. So that's when we were asked to design this mosque in these in these two garage spaces. So uh, we decided to design something that was really minimalistic and really like really as simple as possible. But when we get a project of this sort, it's not you know we we've been thinking about it for a very long time. We've been thinking about what kind of architecture and what kind of ornament uh, should be employed in mosques. And um, I really believe strongly that there is a, is a need for a revolution in um, the vocabulary of mosque design because what we see usually and even in the west we see um, the, the same kind of typology uh, with the same elements with the with the minarets and the domes and arches um, and you know carvings and things like that so and calligraphy so what we wanted to do was sort of turn away from all of the tradition and this, we found this to be a good opportunity because the space was so limited. 
So we did something that was really subtle um, and it allowed us to experiment with fabric and, and we've been working with fabric and tailoring for a very long time. So we decided that this was a good opportunity for us to combine all of these different interests and principles into this one project. So we also involved um, upholsterers uh, who helped us sort of stitch the fabric in place. So the, the main wall of the mosque, which is the mihrab, that's like the feature wall, which is an orientation device where we face um, so that we know where, where Mecca is. So we face that to pray. So that's the wall that is really important. And so mm -hmm. we decided to make that into um, this fabric wall. And then everything else was really sort of minim minimalistic and, and completely devoid of any sort of ornament. So we, we did this entire project in two weeks. Wow. Wow. So uh, you mentioned that she kind of turned away from the tradition and this was for the elderly. How did that go over with uh, the elderly group uh, to turn away from tradition? Yeah. Yeah. There's, they are really, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, doesn't matter what age, but they're, they have this idea of what a mosque should look like. Um, and it's really hard to kind of um, digest something new, something that is not, that doesn't, traditionally look like a mosque. Um, so we were allowed the freedom to do whatever we wanted and that was really great. And because there were a lot of constraints on site, I mean, there was no, it, it, it's an existing space. So it was more of interior design and interior architecture that was being, um, that was called for. So uh, with that, we weren't really able to create any sort of ornament anyway, even if we wanted to. So that was something that really helped us and then when it when it was built, everyone was really in awe and they were happy about the new way of reinterpreting prayer space. Very cool. Awesome. And then the uh, fractals workshop that you, you started as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So I started the fractals workshop back in 2012 when one of the schools for architecture invited me to um, teach a workshop here in India. So... There were, uh, you know, at that time, uh, digital fabrication and computation and um, parametric design, all of these things were not really, you know, they hadn't really caught on yet. Uh, now things are really different. But that was just the beginning and I had just come back from London and I wanted to introduce uh, design research and computation and these concepts, uh, also prototyping and these kind of things. And, um, and so I, that's when I came up with the idea for the Fractals Workshop. And it has evolved. So it's it's essentially a generative design um, workshop that uh, also employs computation um, and algorithm-based design. Um, so participants uh, come up with their own analog algorithms is what we call them. Um, because at the time, like I said, you know, computation wasn't something that was widespread and also not really easy to accept by colleges. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, everybody was really bound by tradition and by modern, you know, postmodernism and everything. So, um, so when we introduced this, it was kind of a new thing and it, people were skeptical about it. So, and at the same time, there was uh, very limited access to digital prototyping and fabrication equipment. So that's when um, the kind of the materiality developed from there because we started to use disposable uh, material at the time. Uh, 
So we used um, paper cups and plastic straws and these kind of things, which are really, you know, you, you're able to find them in bulk. And so you don't need to think about how are we going to fabricate something, but you're only focusing on, you have the material with you, which is really economical and it's ubiquitous and it's lightweight. And then you start to, the, the way that you assemble or aggregate the material, you focus on that rather than the fabrication part of it. So um, students and participants, they just, they come together in a kind of collective effort where they um, generate or, or you know, uh, prototypes and then form finding based on certain set of rules that they write themselves. And these are derived from fractals in nature and other natural systems. Got it. I don't know if you're uh, following along, Jason, but for those that may not be aware, yeah. can you uh, sort of simplify what computational design and generative design is? I'm glad you're saying that, Dee, because like I almost made a comment. I'm like, I hope you know what's going on because this is a whole <laughs> different language for me. So but I would, I would love, I would love a little bit of a better understanding. That'd be great. Right. So I think um, we, we tend to kind of use too much of jargon anyway. So um, I think what, what we mean by, it's a really vast, really vast uh, topic, but what we mean by computational design when we're using it in the fractals workshop is kind of, you're not, it's not necessary that you're, the computer is generating the design, but computation could be, you know, your mind computing something. So you're using mathematics and certain rules that you write yourself to generate the design. So the design is actually the way that we design generally uh, designers and architects and artists, we think of what the outcome should be. So we sort of pre-meditate uh, or predetermine what we want to achieve. And then we try to reverse engineer and we, we try to achieve that outcome. But in this workshop, so that's a top-down method of working. In this workshop, it's more of a bottom-up method, just like in nature, because in nature, um, it's more about the, the connections between different units or different you know, particles or neighbors that make up the whole. So there's no preconceived outcome in nature. It's more about the, the relationships between uh, different objects that create a certain outcome. So it's a bottom-up kind of way of thinking. And that's what the workshop is all about. So we try to really coerce students, let's say, to not think about what the outcome is going to be. So a lot of students come to us, come to me when during the workshop and they're like, I want to do a spiral and or, or I want to design something that looks like this. And I'm like, you have to kind of hold yourself back. As a designer, obviously, you, you want to think of the outcome. But this is more like your, as a designer, you're only writing rules or you're writing the algorithm, which is just, just a set of rules. And the rules um, then determine what the outcome will look like. So you don't know, you begin with something, you know, you begin with a blank slate and you have no idea what it will look like. It might look really ugly. It might look amazing, um, but you'll only know once you do it. So once you start aggregating the material and you get there and then you get to know what the outcome is like. And so that's um, essentially what computation or generative design is all about because you're, you're generating something based on these rules rather than thinking of a design and then trying to figure out how it's made. Got it. Got it. And of course, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. Both ways are equally valid. This is just the way that we've adopted for this workshop. No, that's a good explanation. Totally get it. Great. Yeah, so these, are, these buildings end up being much more natural looking in... Almost organic, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. 
We're going to take a quick break to share a little bit more about our sponsors. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link spaces. That's twinmotion.link spaces. Section Cut by Monograph Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know, in near real-time, whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with the goal of improving their business. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. When I was looking through your bio, you have like a ton of stuff going on. So you also have BuildAware and ARD. Can you talk briefly about those two? Right. So ARD came up um, when we were participating in Dubai Design Week in 2018. Um, and my associate in Dubai, Asna, um, she's really uh, passionate about green architecture and sustainability um, and also, you know, reviving traditional methods of construction and traditional methods of craft and, and design. So uh, we designed something called the Wevex, which is an installation which is now placed at Dubai Design District. So we designed this uh, using palm frond midribs. So the palm um, tree obviously is, the date palm is um, uh, indigenous to uh, the UAE and to Dubai. So we wanted to take the local material and also learn a little bit about the craft from the local craftspersons. And surprisingly, um, you know, the houses that used to be built with this, it's wood essentially. So, um, with this material, they used to use the wood, the, the palm frond midribs, and they used to use the leaves, and they built different parts of the house. And uh, what's really surprising is that it was built by women. So the Bedouin or nomadic, you know, tribal women from uh, the desert, they used to build. So they have the knowledge, you know, the expertise of building 
um, with this material. And now, because all the buildings are obviously steel and glass and concrete, now they've been reduced to just doing baskets and, and different kinds of you know crafts. So we learned from these Bedouin craftswomen, and then we wanted to apply it on a larger scale, but um, in a in a more mathematically challenging or geometric um, surface that we created using this material. So if you check it out, it's called the Weavex. Uh, it's a hyperbolic paraboloid. And so that's when really the idea of Ard uh, came up and um, Asna came up with that, which is more about research as well as reviving uh, sort of traditional methods and techniques. And Builderware is something that we started last year, just before the lockdown back in February. Um, and it, it's crazy that we started it at that time, but it's um, thankfully it's still it's still alive. So uh, what we wanted to do with Builderware was that we've always wanted to, you know, gain greater control over the execution process of our designs because we um, do something that hasn't been done before, and then it's difficult to find um, the experts to to sort of execute that or build that. And and we always tap into different disciplines. So, like I said earlier, sofa makers and upholsterers, and we've also got you know uh, people who work with cane furniture, um, and and many other craftspersons that we've involved in uh, execution. So we felt that instead of just doing design, we should also get into executing some of our designs rather than you know, allowing another agency to do that, they may or may not understand it. It might be a little difficult for them. And we have a great team. So we've done execution before. So we sort of decided to either we, we do construction administration or we do the entire turnkey project. So that's where Buildaware came up. And along with Buildaware, we also in parallel started something called Studio to Site which is an education initiative. So everything that we do uh, in practice, we sort of try to do in education as well. So uh, Studio to Site, uh, now that we have you know, live uh, construction sites, we decided that we'll get students and young professionals who haven't had access to the construction site to you know, bring them to the construction site and have them learn right you know, by getting their hands dirty and learn right on, on site. And that's something that I, felt really that I missed out on when I was a student. I love that. I love that's that. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Awesome. Good for you. Yeah, that's huge. Right? I, I think that's something that's missing um, in education. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because even Demetrius and I were talking about that before. I mean, there's just, and I think what happens is you probably see a different level of excitement from the students when they actually oh, yeah. get out to the site, they see how things are taking place. And so that's what really ends up catching fire amongst them and goes, okay, this is a field I really want to get into, right? Like this is like construction can be really neat and rewarding. Whereas like, like I said, when yeah. Demetrius and I were talking about the last, seems like a couple episodes, there's just not that excitement about our industry like there once was in history, right? And I think what you're doing by bringing them out there, you know, having them get their hands dirty, or at least walking the sites and seeing what's possible, and seeing it from development up to what can ultimately be a legacy piece in a lot of ways, you know, something that they created can really stoke that fire in these individuals to get more people into our industry. I think that's fantastic. Yes, I, I completely agree. There's, you know, the excitement of actually seeing something built that can't be captured from, from a distance in the studio. And also there's, there's this hesitation um, for architects and young designers to get on the site. They're really... They feel like that's not their domain 
whereas it is, and that's something that uh, I think that we need to change the narrative by making them more comfortable with the site. Well, I think that if they really want to get to the levels that they want to be at, ultimately, you better learn to get out there and do it because that's one of the pieces that yeah. you need to really be involved in. That's that's a major limitation. Yeah, it's really important. Uh, how can people follow along with you? Um, what's the best way, website or, or social media? So our website is designaware.org. And um, we're on social media with the same handle, designaware. Mainly, uh, we share our kind of processes and everything on Instagram, uh, also Facebook. So it's Design Aware and Fractals Workshop as well on Instagram. And my personal Instagram is Sigbir Fatima. Great. Uh, also a TEDx speaker. I didn't mention that, but oh. uh, you've done so much. Uh, but definitely check check out uh, designaware.org and your individual website, uh, Takbir Fatima. T-A-K-B-I-R-F-A-T-I-M-A dot com and design aware. Pretty simple. Thank you so much, Takriya. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, for joining me again. Thank you to the listeners for listening. And we will talk again next week. Thank you, Demetrius. Thank you, Jason, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link slash spaces today and try Twin Motion for free. Thank you to Monograph for their support of this podcast episode. To reserve a seat at their first ever interactive virtual conference, visit sectioncut.com today. Thanks again for listening. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with BuildSmart the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLamey, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, 
unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.